Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast and Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you very much for doing that. Tell your friends about us. This is a B segment, 1106B. That's right, we've been doing this for more than 22 years. And today we have a great guest, Dr. Corin Hudson. It, it, by the way, it seems to me, um, Dr. Hudson, I'm going to let you uh, comment on this, that except for an occasional Boston team, that Washington has cornered the market on female team physicians. Um, as Dr. Hudson is not only an emergency room doctor and an associate professor at the Georgetown University Hospital, the MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, um, she is also a team physician for Georgetown University, an assistant team physician for the Washington Wizards and the Washington Mystics, and a consulting physician for the Washington Capitals. Um, and she does split her time, uh, her clinical time, between the emergency department at Georgetown and her outpatient sports medicine practice with MedStar Health in McLean, Virginia. Um, Dr. Hudson is, um, uh, you can find out more about her if you want to find out more about her at medstarhealth.org. Um, and she does know our friend who we've had on this program before, Robin West, who's the team physician for, I think, the other Washington uh, teams that Dr. Hudson doesn't cover. But the real question today isn't about professional teams. It's about you and exercise in heat and what you should do in general about heat um, and the very interesting, um, if you will, quick facts about heat and the um, survey that MedStar Health did of their residents in the D.C., Maryland, and Northern Virginia areas. Before we get there, I should say this is the B segment. The Bs are always wonderful guests as today. Um, and you'll want to listen. One of my favorites um, is the one on posture and how you can keep your posture good and balance good as you get older. Um, that was 1104B. And as I've said on the A segment, one of my favorites also was the article on the medical aspects of kissing which is 1063B, um, and the book is called Kissing for that one. Um, before we go there, I should tell you that we are sponsored by Life's First Naturals. You can go and learn about the benefits of, for example, randomized control trials of bovine colostrum for uh, very hard exercises. So were you a basketball player, instead you would have... You might have a leaky gut if you work continually hard at it or ran a marathon. Those leaky gut problems in the randomized controlled trials of bovine colostrum are ameliorated 
by the bovine colostrum in 80% of the cases in two randomized controlled trials. But go to lifefirstnaturals.com to find out more about those studies as well. Um, Dr. Hudson, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, tell us what your favorite sport is. Oh, it's so hard to pick a favorite without uh, upsetting so many of the other athletes I work with. But um, I'm I'm a basketball fan, probably first and foremost. Uh, I played a little bit of basketball, not at all well when I was growing up. I think what drove me to sports medicine is that I was a very modestly talented athlete who was injured quite frequently and was very fortunate to have been cared for by a number of very talented sports medicine professionals. Um, and I found my way to sports medicine uh, from that. But Never lost my love of basketball, probably first and foremost. Well, I'm going to ask you one professional sports question, and then we'll go and talk about uh, basketball on the beach or basketball even on the, the court, regular court in the hot weather season, um, as well as talk a little more about heat and exercise. Um, but it seems to me that we're seeing more injuries of pro sports players that keep them off the court for the rest of the year. Um, yet they're better trained, it seems, than they were in the past. Is this because in the past they played through injuries and were more uh, careful of the athlete now? Or is it that they're more extreme? Or what, what do you think the causes of those? Uh, or is my perception of an increased, uh, in, if you will, season-ending injuries mistaken? I think it may be a little bit of both. I think we may have a little bit more knowledge and awareness of it. I think the 24-hour news cycle and the availability of social media makes us more aware of injuries when they happen. And, and the fact that athletes and their... Um, Support staff may tell us a little bit more. We may have those in-depth awareness because they're live tweeting what's happening. They're telling us more about their injuries and their rehab than we may have seen 15 or 20 years ago. Makes us a little bit more familiar with their injuries when they happen. But we're also seeing athletes train a lot more than they used to. We're seeing athletes play year-round in ways that they didn't. Uh, we're not really seeing athletes, even in the adolescent and the youth levels, take off seasons the way they used to. And while that year-round training allows for very highly trained athletes, it sometimes doesn't allow the body a chance to rest in quite the same way. And so we do see different types of injuries now than maybe we did 20 years ago. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and you probably are not old enough to know who Rick Berry was, but I was in San Francisco when uh, the whatever that team was in 1971-2 won the championship um, it may have been 72-3 or 3-4. I can't remember exactly. But Rick, but it was interesting. The players did not play basketball in the offseason then. They kept in shape by playing other sports. And so um, I used to play a lot of a game called squash. And uh, Rick Berry came to the squash courts and said, this looks like an intense game. I'm going to come and learn this and use this as my offseason workout and uh, that's what he and a number of the players did. Um, but today they, they keep shooting baskets and playing basketball all season. And I guess it's the same muscles and same joints they're um, working on rather than just keeping in cardiovascular shape. It's true. 
we see that even the most elite athletes in their sport are athletes who typically played more than one sport, at least through high school. And so this early sport specialization that we see now amongst youth athletes is probably not a great idea. We see these kids as early as seven, eight, nine years old playing elite or travel sports year round. And I, my personal opinion and, and that of many of my colleagues is that it's probably not a great idea, um, not only for burnout and for injury risk, but just for the overall well-being of the kids. Um, and it's probably not great for their, their sports development because we know that the best all-around athletes, the Michael Jordans of the world, played multiple sports all the way through high school and, and many of them even beyond. Um, we can name lots of great athletes through the years who were uh, you know, a Heisman Trophy winner in football, but were also playing basketball. They were playing baseball as well. They were two-sport athletes um, all the way through, through college, even beyond. So I think that you're right. That probably also had them using different muscles during different times of the year. Uh, we've seen athletes who are summer Olympic athletes in one sport and winter Olympic athletes in another sport. They're getting an off-season from one sport, and that's really probably good for them physically, mentally, emotionally, a lot of different ways. Um, but we are seeing now some of these athletes, we see this in the WNBA players who, who feel in some ways financially pressured to play uh, in Europe or around the world. They play internationally, and many of them don't get a week off. Even the women who win the championships are, are having their championship celebration, and they're on a plane the next day heading overseas to play with their overseas teams. And they're barely finishing their overseas seasons before they're back on a plane uh, back here to pick up with their WNBA team to start the season. And that really gives very little downtime to recover. Yeah, I think uh, speaking of things we shouldn't do, um, is there a temperature we shouldn't be exercising during? In other words, let's get back to heat. Um, and I should mention, again, we're talking with... Dr. Corin Hudson, H-U-D-S-O-N, from uh, MedStar Georgetown, and you can find out more about her and the programs at MedStarHealth.org. So, Dr. Hudson, is there is there an absolute temperature where you'd say, no matter what condition you're in, you shouldn't be exercising? I wish there was, but it, it's probably not that simple. I think it really has to do a lot with how well you are acclimatized to your surroundings and what kind of exercise you're doing. So if I grew up in uh, South Florida and I'm used to the heat and humidity of South Florida, going out and exercising in that heat and humidity is probably not going to affect me the same way it will if I grew up in the upper Midwest in Minnesota or if I'm from uh, Canada and I'm used to the cooler, drier air, and all of a sudden I go on vacation in South Florida and I decide I want to go out and go for a run at noon. So acclimatization is very important. We also know that temperature alone is not the only factor. I mentioned humidity is important. We know what that feels like temperature is that they talk about that heat index that the weatherman talks about or they talk about the meteorologist on the, on the news. But there's also something we call the wet bulb globe temperature, which also takes into effect the radiant effects of the sun. You know, we all know that it feels warmer when the sun is out shining brightly than it is when uh, there's cloud cover. It also takes into account whether or not there's any wind, whether there's a breeze and the air is moving, and gives us some sense of uh, the effect of whether the surface we're on is also radiating any heat. So, uh, you mentioned earlier playing playing basketball on the beach, or we think playing basketball like on a blacktop. Uh, we know that cities can be heat sinks 
with all the black top and the concrete in a city, they just absorb heat. And so a city is, by and large in the summer, a much hotter place to be than out in the country, where at night, the green space lets the heat out. And so it's actually cooler to play on things like grass surfaces, like a baseball field, where the heat's let off, than it would be to play on that blacktop basketball court, which is just going to absorb the heat. So something we call the wet bulb globe temperature, and many websites that do weather can tell you what that is will give you that that temperature. And then there are charts that tell, use, tell me uh, that name again. Tell, tell me that name again. Wet bulb. Wet bulb globe temperature. And it actually comes from a device that we use. And, and the, the original device actually has a little circle that's painted black and an anemometer, a wind speed measure and a temperature gauge. There's actually a smaller device that's now a handheld digital device that you can measure this. Uh, but most of us go to a website that, that has the National Weather Service telling us what the wet bulb globe temperature is for our area. And so what are the precautions? In other words, when you, when you think of kids or even uh, and even us weekend athletes. Um, so I just saw a story on weekend athletes get the same percentage benefit as if they just exercised on the weekend, that is health benefit, not uh, fitness benefit, but health benefit, whether they, if they exercise uh, 250 minutes and it's all on a weekend versus 250 minutes spread throughout the week, um, the health benefit was the same. So um, a lot of people exercise, I suppose, on the weekends or um, on the evenings. Um, what are the, the precautions we should really take if we're a weekend athlete in this type of heat that we're seeing this summer? That's an excellent point. I would even say people should strive for 150 minutes a week. That's our exercise prescription, and you're absolutely correct. It doesn't matter how those 150 minutes are divvied up any time at all. is an excellent exercise prescription. And I think our goal should be to try to do those minutes during the coolest parts of the day. So we want to avoid between 10 and 2, where likely this time of year it's going to be the hottest. We're going to try to avoid that direct sunlight. So if we can go early in the morning, say before 9 a.m. or later in the evening, maybe after 5 or 6 o'clock, when the sun angle is low, it's likely to be a little bit cooler. We may have a breeze. We may not have that direct sun beating down on us. Uh, that's our first goal. We want to get the cooler parts of the day. We want to make sure we take plenty of water to drink with us, and we want to make sure that we let somebody know where we're going to be so that we, uh, and, and we have a route where if we get overheated, we can find a cool space, whether that's shade or whether it's some air conditioning, so we can stop and cool down if we need to. That's a very clever idea. So if you're running outdoors or even rowing outdoors, I suppose, or playing tennis or whatever, or playing basketball, you should make sure there is a place nearby you can go um, and someone can get you there if you start to have problems. And what are the symptoms of, of heat-related problems, Dr. Hudson? So the first symptoms are easy to miss. So I think it's important that people think about them. They may be really uh, kind of benign, like a headache or, or like some mild nausea. People may just feel a little bit irritable. Uh, the, as they advance, it may get much more obvious. People may get confused. They may have fainting. 
they may uh, actually even have seizures or collapse. That's obviously very severe. Patients with any of those second set of symptoms should be taken to a hospital immediately. They, that's those are emergencies. They need to have someone call 911. But those very early symptoms uh, may be really mild. It may be things like a headache or some mild nausea. Now, I exercise inside in the summer, especially inside in the summer and early. Should I, um, obviously squash courts are inside. That's a good thing, at least most of them. But um, there are a whole bunch of pickleball courts now outside. And I see people who are um, clearly over the age of 70 being very active because of pickleball and the socialization that it brings. What should we tell them or what should they be doing? And, and by the way, pickleball is often played on, on uh, what you would call blacktop surfaces. I love pickleball. I love my patients who play pickleball. I think it's fantastic. You're right. It's been fantastic for socialization. It's amazing in getting people out and exercising who maybe weren't doing that beforehand. But there are some things that we want people to pay attention to. And the surface, as you pointed out, it is that blacktop surface, which may get hot and may radiate some of that heat, as we talked about earlier. Uh, I also want patients who are a little bit older to be aware of the fact that some of the medications they're on may also affect their ability to dissipate heat in the same way that a younger patient might. So many blood pressure medications can affect uh, your ability to regulate your body temperature. Um, and so that's something everybody should talk to with their doctor. Uh, also, uh, certain heart conditions and certain kidney conditions may affect how much fluid you should take in every day. So it can get a little bit harder to manage how much fluid you can drink. So when I say drink as much water as you can, that may not be true for all people, especially some people with certain heart conditions and kidney conditions. So that should be a consider discussing with your physician if you have heart conditions or kidney conditions. Uh, and then lastly, people who, uh, who drink a lot of caffeine or, or drink alcohol should be particularly cautious about how they hydrate. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to point fingers at members of my own family, but those who think that three cups of coffee in the morning is hydrating before they go out to exercise uh, should think again, because that's probably not what you need to do before you go out and, and exercise on a hot day. You probably need to think about adding some water to that routine. So what should be when, you, when you're saying adding some water, people always ask me, how much water? And, um, I, you know, you, you can answer, you, you want to drink uh, twice your weight in water if you're exercising. But what's the, and, and as we get older, our sense of dehydration fades a little bit. So what's the good, what's a good thing to just tell people, should they, ex should they drink 12 ounces every 30 minutes, 12 ounces every 15 minutes. What's the right thing to, how do we answer that question? I think you're right about starting with, with your weight, right? So I say that you start with uh, your weight in, in kilograms and convert that to ounces or start with your weight in pounds, divide that by two, and that's your number of ounces per day. So your average 200-pound male would drink about 100 ounces a day, and that's a lot of fluid, but that's uh, before they start exercising. Uh, when they're exercising, you probably want to add about another eight ounces for every 30 minutes of vigorous exercise, at least more if they feel thirsty, but at least eight ounces for 30 minutes is a, is a starting point. 
Uh, and, and that could be plain water. You probably don't need to add the, the complex sports drinks and electrolyte replacement and lots of sugary things unless you're going beyond 45 minutes or an hour. Or, again, if you have a medical condition that you know requires that kind of thing, diabetes or other things that may require you to, to consider adding sugars or other, other electrolytes. I want to thank you. We've been talking to Dr. Corin Hudson, who obviously is an expert uh, in the area of both heat and exercise. Um, and I'm going to give her a chance to give us a last um, second, uh, if you will, um, advice on it. But just to tell you, we are brought to you by Life's First Naturals the makers of both True Biotics and Bovine Colostrum products. You can go to Life's First Naturals with S.com to see the data on it as well as to order um, their products if you wish. Um, Dr. Hudson, uh, Corin Hudson, it does practice uh, sports medicine and is an expert on concussion and concussion treatment. She is in McLean, Virginia, as well as you can find out more about her at MedStarHealth.org. Um, I should also say one of the other experts we've had on uh, relating to concussions is Julian Bales, who um, is uh, a a true expert having been one of the originators or finding of uh, CTE when he was with the Pittsburgh Steeler organization. Um, Dr. Hudson uh, did training at the University of Virginia and she was part of the Eccles Scholar Program. So as you can tell, is a true um, expert in this area. Any last things we should tell people about heat illness and exercise in the summer? So the last thing I think about is when I think about uh, youth activities in particular. So I have uh, young children. My kids play in, in youth sports events like Little League and, and outdoor camps. And a lot of those don't have athletic trainers or specific medical emergency plans. And I think sometimes that falls to coaches or parents to think about what are we going to do. And some of these events happen on weekends and they're outdoor tournaments and the temperatures really can hit 100, 105 degrees in much of the country during this part of the year. And so I think that if parents can think about what's our emergency plan going to be, are we going to have enough water? Are we going to have uh, coolers of ice water with towels we can use, fans we can use to help cool down, not just the athletes, but also the parents and grandparents who are fans who may be overheated in the stands. And then at certain events like those athletic events, and we see this in races and marathons, we sometimes have people who get to that collapse and fainting stage where we actually have to immerse them. We dunk them in cold water to cool them down. And in particularly remote areas where the hospitals may be 20, 30 minutes away, having a, a cold water tank or a dunk tank where we can actually cool athletes down makes sense. If you're going to be at an event like that, it probably makes sense to have a sports medicine physician or an athletic trainer present. And so I would certainly lobby for that if there's going to be a large event where it's very hot and there are a large number of athletes present. You want to have a medical professional there uh, to ensure the health and safety of your athletes. You know, that's really um, superb advice is to have an emergency plan available. And the other thing, the other piece of advice that I have not seen other people give out, Dr. Hudson, but is so important is 
you've got to take care of the grandparents in the stands. A lot of grandparents avoid drinking water beforehand because they don't know where the nearest uh, bathroom is or facility is. And consequently, they can get dehydrated even as fast as the athletes. So make sure you take care of the uh, fans in the uh, especially the older age groups. And I would say uh, I haven't seen uh, dehydration at pickleball, but I expect to this summer as it gets more and more popular. So if you're playing pickleball, make sure you're hydrated as well. It's an amazingly uh, wonderful athletic and uh, um, sweating sport, if you will. So do do that. Those are all great pieces of advice, Dr. Hudson. Dr. Hudson, again, is available at medstarhealth.org. Uh, thanks very much um, for being on. And especially, Caitlin, thank you for our engineering. And we ought to thank you, the listener. You're what motivates us to do this. We'll be back next week. Another, I don't know if we can ever have as good a guest again, but Dr. Hudson, thank you very much for being outstanding. We'll be back next week.